good morning again, everybody. I'm Jeff. I'm co-pastor with Ben, co-lead pastor with Ben, Kearns. We just, um, man, we love, we love bringing the word. We love being uh, on this team together, and we love being in church together. So welcome. Glad you're here. Hello, online community. Glad you guys are here. Did you miss online community? Did you miss the little announcement? Moving to YouTube live coming up in a couple weeks, so pay attention to that um, as things are transitioning. So this is the beginning of Lent. Happy Lent, everybody, or welcome to Lent, or... or, or Salute. I don't know what you say about Lent. We, um, we're in the season of Lent, and we started last week with, um, on Wednesday with our Ash Wednesday service. And so this morning, what I want to do in the short time that we have together is um, it's, a little, um, it's a little optimistic, but I want to I talk about the meaning of Lent. I want to introduce our sermon series. I want to introduce the text that we're going to be in our sermon series, which is Ephesians chapter 1, and then I'm going to land in the book of Revelation. That's awesome. So... <laughs> Some of you were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, Revelation. Oh, okay. All right. So we'll see how we do with all of this. You know, Lent is really um, uh, an important season for us. As you know, if you've been here around for a long time, and if you're new or newer to our church, um, we lean into Lent because Lent is a significant season for the life of the church. And some of you, like me, maybe you're like, I'm not really sure what Lent's all about. Like I didn't grow up in that environment or I'm new to church. And, and so what's this What's this thing, Lent? Well, I want you to know the word Lent is actually just from an old English word like Lankton or something, and it just means spring, which is when it happens. So that's all that means. And how many days is Lent? How, how, do you know how many days Lent is? 40 plus. 40 plus. <laughs> it is 40, and some people, I maybe heard somebody say 46. It's, it's, this is what it is. So it's 40 days. No, it's not 40 days. It's 46 days which is from Ash Wednesday to Easter. Ash Wednesday was last week, beginning of Lent, to Easter. It's 46 days with six Sundays in the middle. And the six Sundays are little mini Easters that are celebrations in the middle of Lent. So 46 minus six is 40. And 40 is a significant number. The church started doing Lent because 40 is a nod to Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. 40 years of Israel's wandering in the wilderness. Why? Because that's a season in the life of God's people where they were determining who they were going to be and whose they were going to be and what they were going to live for for the rest of their lives. So 40 days, Lent journey, that's what it's about. And, um, and so we're going to experience it. There's a, little, there's a quote that you're going to see uh, all the way through Lent that I'll put up there. Lent, this is what Lent's about. Lent's a season to renew our devotion, rehearse the truth, and re-engage in ministry. We're going to renew our devotion. We're going to be practicing disciplines. We're going to be engaging with this, the, the, um, the church has always been about in Lent. It's been about saying, what am I going to be about? It's going to be a season of grieving how I'm not as far as I want to be. The world is still broken. Things aren't yet what they ought to be. That's going to be a season of grief, but it's also going to be a season of celebration. And so our devotion is to say, Lord, this is why we talk about repentance during Lent, why we fast during Lent, because we're going to remind ourselves that this is what I want to be about. I want to be about God's work in my life. And so we grieve what is not yet in our lives in the world. We grieve our hard hearts. We, we lament uh, our self-sufficiency. We lament our self-reliance. We lament our lack of trust in God. 
We grieve our promiscuous hearts that run after false lovers that will not and cannot satisfy what we were made to be. These are the things we do in Lent. We're like, woe is me. I'm not who I should be. This is, the world's not as it should be. So we grieve that. But then we also celebrate that Easter's coming because it is a celebration that Christ, while we grieve all those things, has defeated death and defeated sin and defeated evil and defeated the enemy. And so our victory has been won. And so the church looks forward to Easter all the way through Lent that says, oh Lord, more of you. We're not there. Our world is not healed. I'm not healed. More of you, God. And we're gonna celebrate that Jesus has taken care of it. And now, but not yet, we experience the restoration of Christ for what he's, because of what he's done on the cross. So that's what Lent's about. It's almost entirely summed up in this phrase for me. Lord, will you be enough for me? Will you be my everything? And so we lean into Lent and renew our devotion and rehearse the truth and re-engage in ministry. Rehearsing the truth is really why, why we're gonna dig into the scriptures together. It's where we say, oh, Jesus has won and defeated death on the cross. It's why we, we also take little mini celebrations during Lent. So while we're fasting or, or, or practicing other spiritual disciplines, by the way, you're like, What's, why would you fast during Lent? Because when you fast during Lent, when you're miserable, God's happy. No, that's not true. <laughs> That's not true, but that's what we kind of tend to think, right? That's not true. But what happens when you fast, what, when you give up something, and by the way, if you're like, oh, what should I give up? Should I give up Netflix? Should I give up, you know, Tuesday's um, uh, book club? Like, well, I don't know what you should give up, but really old school, you give up food. When the Bible talks about fasting, it, it, it doesn't talk about your carbs. It, it, it talks <laughs> about all food. So if you're healthy enough to do that, you give up food. Why? Because as your hunger pains happen and as you long to satisfy all those cravings, it just reminds you, you're like, oh, Lord, like my body's craving food right now. My soul craves you, your love, your grace, your truth, my purpose. I crave all that. I want you, God. I want you more than I want chips and salsa. <laughs> so that's why we fast. So where was I? I don't know. So uh, that's all about the devotion piece, right? Oh, so we're going to rehearse the truths during that time too. Jesus has defeated sin and death and I am his. And we're going to re-engage in ministry, which is part of rehearsing the truth, which is to say, and I'm consecrated to him. My life is his. This is my purpose, to follow him into every place with all the love and the grace that I've experienced so that his ministry on earth would happen as it is in heaven, and I'm gonna be his person. So Lent's a time to remind ourselves of all of that. It's pretty brilliant, right, for the church to decide that that is what they're gonna do season, year in and year out during this season. So that's introduction to Lent. Um, I'm sure there's plenty that you can, uh, the Wikipedia page is strangely really good about what Lent, so go there. So let me introduce what we're gonna do then. We're gonna dig in, you've seen this, um, series before called Digging In, and it's a, 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 um, a, we're going to talk about digging into the richness of the good news or of the gospel. And I love this, Digging In is about where we take a passage of scripture and for a whole sermon series, we just go kind of verse by verse and talk about everything that it has to tell us. And so we chose for this idea of, of, of a season of 
of uh, lamenting and fasting and a season of celebration uh, in the gospel, we're going to dig into Ephesians chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through um, uh, 14. And today I'm just going to introduce that text in Ephesians 1, 1 through 3. I'd love to have you turn with me to that text as we're going to do some Bible study. So do you uh, have your Bibles there in front of you guys or your devices? The church Bibles, I think somebody said it was page 1173. Thank you. And we're just going to do a little Bible study at the beginning of this text, and we're going to preach through the first 14 verses uh, throughout this Lenten season, digging in the richness of the gospel. Just looking at the first two verses, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll get to verse three in a couple of minutes. We're gonna actually let verse two sit by itself as you reflect on this text throughout Lent and then Ben Kearns is gonna preach that on Easter Sunday morning, grace and peace to you. But I wanna talk about verse one and verse three a little bit today as an introduction because it's an introduction to the text and it's an introduction to Lent. And what we learn about it is so fascinating. There's Paul describes himself, and then talks about the Ephesian church. And then in verse 3, we're going to see later, he goes on to talk about all this good truth that we're going to want to rehearse. But first, let's start with a Bible study on that. What do you learn from Paul just by this one phrase? What do you learn from Paul? What do you, about Paul? What do you see there? He's an apostle. What else do you learn? One more thing. From, about Paul. He's an apostle because of God's will. That's it. That's it. This is Bible study. Here's Paul. He is an apostle, and he's an apostle by God's will. Now, don't miss it, because we bleep over this stuff when we study scriptures, right? We're just like, oh, yeah, introductory words. Okay, Paul, an apostle because Jesus by the will of God. Sounds super religious, but when you start to dig into it, we, we, we want to parse the words. We want to see what it's, if it says anything to us. And I think because this is an introduction to this goodness of the richness of the gospel, we don't want to miss how we relate to Paul and how we relate to the Ephesians in here. Now, what do you see? Paul is an apostle. That word means one who is sent. Isn't that good right there? Isn't that worth the price of admission? He has a message and a singular purpose. That's what the word apostle is. He's one who has a singular purpose and is sent. And that's not just Paul. That's, I mean, he literally is, is a prototype of us who have been rescued by Jesus and who have been given a message of love and grace and salvation to the world. And our singular purpose is to live that out. That's enough message for any of us to identify. We're all so spiritually inferiority complex ridden. We're like, well, that's Paul. That's actually all of us. Here's something he says, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he talks about his, his apostleship. He says this, he goes, for I'm the least of the apostles, which is great. Why would he say that I'm the least of the apostles? Well, because he wasn't one of the 12 disciples. He didn't get to see Jesus. He came to Jesus. He came to Christ after Jesus' death and resurrection. But he goes, I'm the least of the apostles. In fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle because of the way I persecuted God's church. That's a great reflection, by the way, when our humility shouldn't turn ourselves our story shouldn't turn ourselves into an inferiority complex, but we should see that. He's like, man, I don't even deserve this. He goes, but whatever came my way, whatever I am now, it's because God poured out a special favor on me. Anybody relate to that? And not without results. And then he's bold enough to say this. I love Paul, for I've worked harder than any of the other guys. <laughs> 
What he's saying in this hyperbolic way there is he's saying, uh, look at nobody's gonna work harder in response to this good news than me. Nobody's gonna work harder than me. Like I'm all in on this thing. This has been my call. This has been the salvation. God knocked me off my horse, which I don't even know if there was a horse in that story, but we always picture that in, the, um, in all the stained glass. But this is Paul. So back to verse one, Paul's an apostle of Christ Jesus, we learn he's one sent, and that is by God's will, by God's plan. It is something that God has purposed to, uh, to do in Paul's life. Now, you add this up that Paul has been called, saved by Christ, sent by Christ, and it's God's plan to do it. That all adds up to the word for me, consecrated. Consecrated. That in God's heart and in God's mind, he had a plan for Paul's life and he sent him out and that's exactly what he has for us. And this consecrated peace then is for Paul to say like we would say that I am yours. I'm set apart, consecrated means set apart. I'm set apart for you. Everything I have is yours. What would you have me do? I think of Ben talking about uh, last week, was it last week about being covered in the dust of our rabbi. I will follow you, I will live for you. It is my one purpose, it is my one message, this is what I do. Elsewhere, Paul calls himself a servant, which really is the word slave, but slave is so jarring to us in today's language that we make it servant or bond servant in our English, but it's a Greek word, doulos, and he says, Paul, and like in Philippians, he says that he and Timothy are doulos, as slaves of Jesus. He says it in other places, Peter says it in 2 Peter, I'm a doulos of Christ, I'm a slave of Christ. Um, Uh, John says it, I am a servant of Jesus, that's what I do, and that word is supposed to shock us. In the New Testament, though, it has this, uh, when it's used of believers to say, I'm a bondservant of Christ, it is a highly exalted term. It's not a denigrated, I'm a slave to be abused, it is to say, I am solely dedicated and set apart, it is the one thing I do. And the word doulos, is, is, it, it really is intense, it means one who belongs to another. It is a possession, and we are Christ's possession, set apart to live for him. And if you're a little bit like, gosh, that sounds really kind of mean and brutal and abusive, it's not because Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light because, why? Because when we put on the yoke, that's what an oxen puts around their shoulders. Somebody recently this week said to me, I always thought that was about eggs. (laughs) Why would you, like, right? I mean, like this is 21st century, we're living in the Bay Area, who knows what a yoke is? Anybody, be honest, anybody when you first heard that, were you like, are we talking eggs, anyone? (laughs) All right, just that one, okay, thank you, all right. My yoke? is easy and my burden is light because when he possesses us, when we are solely consecrated to him, life comes. All that we've longed for. And so this is what Paul says. He's an apostle by the will of God, consecrated to give everything to Christ. In Galatians 1.10, when he uses that word another place, he goes, so am I trying to win people's Uh, approval or God's. If I were still trying to please people, then I would not be a doulos of Christ. This is what I do. I don't live for myself. I don't live for other people. I live for my Savior Christ. Wow, isn't that intense? Isn't that beautiful? But I hope you hear the message as we reflect on these truths. That's life, and it's where life is found.
I always want to get right at the edge of the stage when I go, if you have been looking for life, it's found in Jesus. So Paul has found that. All right, that's what we learn about Paul. I could be so far behind right now, but I'm not going to let you know that because um, you won't know what I'll have to skip later. All right. And then we learn about Ephesus, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. What do you learn about the people in Ephesus from this text? Two things. What do you learn? What do you see? One, they're holy people. And two, they're faithful. Oh, yes, please. They're holy and they're faithful. These are two great words. There's a thing called the Google. Have you seen it? If you get on and you just Google Bible word holy and Bible word faithful, you'll just see these incredible verses. It's an amazing concept in the scriptures, faithful and holy, but it describes God's people that they are set apart. Holy means set apart, like Paul was talking about. These are God's saints. You may have heard that word before. That's another translation of this in the old King James. It's the saints. They're his people. They belong to him. They're set apart for him. They're holy. And it isn't just moral purity, but it's, again, devoted or consecrated. So you Ephesians who are set apart for God and you're faithful in Christ, that word faithful is so good. It is full of faith, meaning it's believing, but it's also trustworthy, reliable. You can count on them. Again, yes, please. Do you want to be a people of God, a Marin Covenant Church, a gathered church in Marin where people would say they are set apart and holy and reliable and trustworthy? You guys, those are people of substance. And that's what this text is telling us about Ephesus. Paul goes on to describe them a few verses later in Ephesians 1. I've got a, a verse here, verse 15 and 16 of Ephesians 1. And there's a photo of the, of the probably, Paul probably uh, Preach there in Ephesus. But for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the people, I've not stopped giving thanks for you. He knew of their faith and their love. So here they're holy and reliable and full of faith in Jesus and full of love for God's people. This is the description of Ephesus. May God make our church that kind of a church, a gathered people of God. So that's what we learn about Ephesus. You can go back to the text now and see it. The other thing I just want to say, and it's an aside, and I took way too long first gathering and Ben mocked me about it, but I can't not do it. Do you have a footnote in your Bible right there on Ephesus? What's it say in the footnote? That Ephesus is not included. That Ephesus, the words in Ephesus is not included in some early manuscripts. Some of you are like, I don't know what that means. That's why I skipped footnotes. Okay, but listen. Okay, this is so important, and I'm, I'm going to tell you why it's important. It's important because When you have this New Testament and we read it and we often think it's some magical book that got handed down like on a a beanstalk with a guy named Jack or something. We don't know how this Bible came to us. You guys, it's an ancient document. It's not a magic book. It's God's earliest followers who wrote down the teachings of Christ and wrote down the teachings of the apostles. And they listened, listen, this is why it's so important. They preserved it accurately so that what we have, we're supremely confident in its reliability. Some weirdos in the Middle Ages didn't change it. How do we know that? Because all of the copies in all of the years from all different kinds of places across the geography, all of this, these manuscripts, this te- these texts match up. 97% of our New Testament is rated A level by the scholars, meaning it is virtually um, a certain 
that it came from the original author in this exact form. Isn't that amazing? That's not just a faith thing I got going on. That is like the manuscript evidence. And sometimes we see minor variations in the textual evidence, and it's noted for you in your Bible, so nobody's trying to pull the wool over your eyes. So when you see this text, this footnote that says the words in Ephesus are not included in some early manuscripts, they're saying we're rating this C or B, meaning there's some significant doubt about when Paul wrote it, did it say in Ephesus or not say in Ephesus? Because we have really early evidence of both versions. You with me? Now, by the way, every single manuscript contradiction like that, not even a contradiction, but description, like, mul- like multiples like that. First, they note it for you, and second, it changes zero in the book. Yeah. You with me? Yeah. There's no manuscript stuff that it's like, oh, there's a whole manuscript where Jesus didn't claim to be God and didn't rise from the dead. Like, there's not that kind of stuff going on in the manuscript evidence. Yeah. It's this kind of stuff. I just wasted five minutes of your life. You'll never get back. <laughs> Anybody got any love for me that you appreciated that understanding? All right, thank you, Arv. Like, I know, I feel like that's important because it strengthens our faith in the scriptures and their reliability, and it helps us understand kind of what we're talking about here. So it may or may not, the original, here's the bottom line. The original may have said in Ephesus, and then when they circulated the letter to other churches, like the letter to the Laodiceans, which we don't have anymore, Colossians, Paul says, hey, and I'm also, I sent a letter to the Laodiceans. When you get it, read that one too. We're like, we don't have that letter. It could be this one because what they did is they circulated it to all the churches in that region in Asia. So it could be that it originally said in Ephesus, he gave it to the Ephesians, and then those guys said, let's pass it around. We'll scratch out in, like, the copies of it don't have to say in Ephesus because it's to everybody. Or it could have been the other way around. Could have been he never wrote that, he wrote it to everybody, and the people in Ephesus wrote, in Ephesus, that's us. (laughs) Or it may have been from Ephesus, and that's why. So we don't know. Doesn't change the meaning of the book, and he definitely distributed that letter to churches in Asia, including Ephesus. You with me? All right. Wow, that was too much. Okay. <laughs> I understand what you're saying, Ben. All right. So then where do we go? That's the beginning. This is what we learn about Paul, right? He's consecrated by God's will to be God's person in every room he walks into. This is what we learn about the Ephesians that they're holy and set apart as well, like Paul was. Morally pure, being transformed, reliable, can count on them, full of faith in Jesus, full of love for his people. May that be us. That's enough of a sermon right there. But then he goes on to say in verse three, and now let's talk about the incredible truth that we all live out. And this is the intro to the sermon series. This one verse, verse three, says this, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, praise be, that praise be is never used. That word praise is never word for, you did a good job, praise that, I'm gonna praise that. It's always the word worship. It's always reserved for the Son or the Father. Praise be to God, we're worshipers of God. So this text is gonna start out saying, we're worshipers of God for all of these incredible truths that have come through Christ. That's where we're going. This is the richness of the gospel. We're worshipers, praise be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly reality with every blessing in Christ that comes through the Holy Spirit. You with me? You tracking? Praise be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing 
in Christ. And then he's going to go on in the next chapter. And one commentator said some, some version of this, like it's a, it's a barely controlled, ecstatic uh, worship confession. And he just goes on in this run-on sentence of all the things we have in Christ. Friends, we're going to rehearse this, these truths during Lent so that it'll renew our devotion as well, and we'll re-engage in the ministry of living this out. So what I'm gonna do in the couple minutes that I have left is I'm just gonna race through them so that you can see what they are and know what's coming and just get the sense of just wave upon wave of amazing blessing that is true in Christ, and that's why we set apart this season to remind ourselves. So first, every spiritual blessing in Christ, what are those spiritual blessings? One, he chose us before creation to walk with him. Are you ready for a light? I'm just going to fire hose you for the next five minutes, okay? He, he chose us before creation to walk with him. And more than just walk with him, the text says in verse four, as we're going to go on, I'm going to preach about it next week, that before creation, from the very beginning, he created us to be pure and blameless in his sight, meaning he created us to live out the full destiny of who we were made to be. He created us with the perfect us in mind, and he had that in mind since before creation began. Not just to walk with him, but to walk with him in fullness of the perfection that we were made to be, all of our original purpose and all of the desire we have to be who we think that we could be or we couldn't even dream who we could be. He's like that from the beginning of time. That's what I have in mind for you. And so let's walk together and that's going to start happening now and ultimately in perfection. Isn't that incredible? That's a spiritual blessing in Christ. He chose us before creation to walk in perfection with him. Second, he adopted us to be his sons and daughters. This is such a great word. Ben Kearns is going to preach on this next week. He adopted us to be sons and daughters. It's way more intimate than creatures or doulos, servants or slaves. It's, we're to be in his family. We're the beloved daughters and sons of a perfect father. I love this image. I love the image of, of uh, I've always said that God has a picture of me on his fridge and has since the beginning of time. And when the angels come over for charcuterie, he goes, have, have, you, see, have you seen my servant? Do you guys know Jeff? Does that move you somehow? Adopted his sons and daughters from in his mind from the beginning to walk in the perfection that you are. I love the image because you know, don't you know how you love your kids more than you love other people's kids? You get in touch with God's emotion for you. You know that, right? I know this about my granddaughter. I love, I, I do not like your grandchildren. <laughs> right? But my granddaughter, this is the affection that God has for us and he adopted us to be his sons and daughters. Again, Ben's gonna preach on that in, in two weeks. Um, next and he has lavishly graced us. He's talking about in verse 7 through 10. He's gravishly, uh, lavishly graced us with love and forgiveness for our redemption. This is the good news that we know that Christ's blood brought forgiveness, restoration, redemption into a relationship with God. Once we were lost, now we're found. Once we were without him, now we're with him, right? This is the thing that he did. He did that by grace. And we love the prodigal son story because it just pictures this, that we and the whole world has gone astray and, has been, and have been rude to him and we took our inheritance and we, we spat on our father and said, I want to live my life without you and I'm going to do my own thing, right? This is all the way that, that the world has lived and he graciously provided a way back without holding anything against us. 
That's incredible news. Shelly's gonna preach on that in a few weeks. And then he's working out everything in conformity with his purposes. This is like verse 11 and 12 of the text that we're gonna study. Look, look at that spiritual blessing. He's working out everything in conformity with his purposes. What does that even mean? Why, why is he putting that down? Why do I think that's so important? Because we've walked away, because we've made poor choices, because we haven't lived into the perfection of who we are, and so because of that, we've taken the left turn when he probably, his perfect will would have been take a right turn, and then we got to another fork in the road and we took a left turn when he was like, maybe you should have taken a right turn, and then a right turn when we should have taken a left turn, and some of us, you guys, when we reflect on our stories, we think, I have messed this up so bad, I married potentially the wrong person, I got the wrong job, I, I, I made mistakes and hurt people, like there's no going back. But he, the spiritual blessing in Christ, now listen to this good news, is that he works out everything in conformity with his purposes. And so we've said it before, you've heard us say it before, you guys, there's no plan B, well I'm on plan C, I'm on plan D, and so uh, you know what, there's no, there's no, there's no plan B, there's just a new plan A. Because where you are right now, no matter how you got there, no matter how awful your decisions were to get there, no matter how stupid you were, no matter how victimized you were by somebody else to get you in this position, you are right in the center of the will of a perfect father who has adopted you into his family. Do you understand that's what the scriptures teach? He will work it out in conformity with his will. I mean, that is great news. And so no matter where you've been, today you're in the presence of God. And tomorrow you're in his purpose. Isn't that great? That is good news. We gave that to Ben Z to preach in a few weeks because it's hard. Mass predestination. We're like, oh, yo, Ben Z, you want to be in the preaching team? Here you go. <laughs> and last, and band come out because we want to worship here as well to respond. The last, the last thing that a, a spiritual blessing in Christ that he talks about in verses 13 and 14 is that he has given us the Holy Spirit. He's given us the Holy Spirit. And the implications of this, you know, he's given us his Holy Spirit, meaning the, of, among all the things that that means, listen, church, his presence is within us. I mean, it's not even near us. We're, we're not even, it's not that God is always with us, he is in us. We have become a temple of the Holy Spirit. The temple used to be, this is where God dwelled. Let's go there and worship God and go find God and go please God and make sacrifices to God. Like, let's go to where he dwelled. He said, your body now, because of Christ, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you whom you've received from God. This good news is all over the New Testament. It's one of our spiritual blessings in Christ. And the implication, of course, then, is you're with him, with him, like with him, like he's in you. For power, for comfort, for love, for transformation, for all the things that we need. Conviction, he's in us. And it's gonna go on to say, and I'm gonna preach about this on Palm Sunday, that it is a deposit guaranteeing that we will be with him forever. So this is the spiritual blessings in Christ that he just lists and goes off on. You guys, this is the richness of the gospel that we're going to turn it, that we're going to lean into. Richness of the good news of, of Jesus. 
And so that text in verse three says, so praise be to, like we're gonna be worshipers of the God who has given us these blessings. And we're gonna renew our devotion and rehearse the truth and re-engage in a life of consecrated ministry. Now, just to wrap up, I told you I was gonna end with revelations, we can't miss this. This is a cautionary tale because whether this church was to Ephesus or to the Laodiceans or both, these are people who loved God and were faithful and were affirmed. And in the 30 years from the time that Paul wrote this in Ephesus to these people, to 90 AD when the apostle John got the revelation on the island of Patmos, the Lord spoke to both those two churches church in Ephesus and the church in Laodicea. And he said, I, and you can go read it in, in chapters two and three of Revelation. I know your deeds. I know what you've done. I know you've been faithful. In some ways he may be saying, you've got some really good qualities. You've persevered. You don't love wickedness. He might be saying, you've been religious. Good job. But he goes, in verse four, you can see this from the Ephesian church but I hold this against you. You forgot your first love. The heart devotion connection has waned in these years. And so this message to the Ephesians are, this is who you are, and this is the blessings in Christ, and I do not want you to lose that first love. I don't want you to forsake me. I don't want you to fall. I, I want you to repent and do the things that you did at first when you knew that this was the most important thing, that you wanted to give your life as a doulos to me, that your purpose would be solely consecrated to me alone. He's saying, don't forget that. And so we will use Lent, friends, the way the church has used Lent every year since the time of Christ, practically, to remind ourselves that we, can't, we have to remember to not lose our first love. We have to do the things we did at first, which is to say, I am yours. I will renew my devotion. I will rehearse the truth. I will re-engage in ministry. This is all that I want. This is all that I'm about. And I will not settle for anything less than that. That's what our church is going to be about this Lent journey. And we will celebrate. Grieve what is not. And celebrate what Christ has done. This is the richness of the good news. Let's stand and respond even now in worship.